0: Welcome to Thrive Radio, expert, visionary, and innovative business, life, and relationship advice to live a life of doing the impossible with
1: your host, Amy Montgomery. Welcome to Thrive Radio. I'm your host, Amy Montgomery, entrepreneur and digital marketing agency owner. Today, my guest is Dr. Rebecca Heist. She's a professional speaker, author, and the founder and CEO of IQity a continuous 360 review app providing users ongoing fearless feedback and challenging them to grow in self-awareness. She is helping others recognize the power of biological applications in their own lives and is the founder of the new professional women's organization, The Leap, which challenges women to come together to help one another make successful leaps in their personal and professional lives. Rebecca, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me on. I am delighted to be
1: here. So you've achieved a very high level of success. Can you share with us some of your journey and how you decided to help professionals with stress and anxiety and fear?
0: Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that you think that I've achieved a high level of success. (laughs) I think so often we do the things that we need and then we do them for others, right? So I really struggled with stress, anxiety, fear. I didn't actually realize that until much later in my life. So I had this amazing academic position. I was married to a kind man, had a beautiful home. Like my life looked like I was the story of success. And then my sister was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And it was like somebody pulled the rug out from underneath me. And I realized in that moment that every decision, every plan that I'd ever made, I'd made out of fear. And I got really clear when she got that diagnosis that if that had been my diagnosis, I'd be so disappointed with the life that I would lived right? Because all of these decisions, all of my achievements, that was just to prove myself, to show up, to show fear. Like, I'm not afraid of this. I got this. And it wasn't really living from my own truth. As unfortunate as the situation was, my sister really helped me gain clarity around the fact that, you know, so many of these decisions, we have an opportunity to take our lives back because death isn't the biggest tragedy. To me, the biggest tragedy is living a life in fear. So at that moment, I decided I was going to no longer live my life in fear, no longer make decisions out of fear. And I dove headlong into a professional speaking, coaching role around stress, fear, and anxiety, which, you know, that's my background. You know, I ended up being a stress physiologist, but it took a lot of curvy paths along the way to get there.
1: So in walking through your journey, what are you grateful for now?
0: I think right now, the thing I'm most grateful for is that I am surrounded by a community that I get to learn from every single day. You know, like money comes and goes, time just goes. So I'm grateful to have the time to explore and grow myself in making a living. That's pretty great.
1: Yeah. What are some of the ways that you help women overcome stress, anxiety, and imposter syndrome?
0: Yeah, I think the biggest first step is recognizing that it's not your fault. We're all stuck with these lousy brains, brains that aren't built for the world that we're living in. They're built for the world of our ancestors, a world that was scary and sparse and dangerous. And so our brain fixates on how do we stay safe? How do we stay safe? And it becomes really reactionary rather than giving us time to process this abundant, beautiful world that we live in. So we end up having these flight freeze responses, to completely innocuous things. Like if I ask you to go ask for a discount on a cup of coffee, oh my gosh, your heart might start racing, your mouth might dry up, you might start sweating. Why? Because you're gonna get rejected for asking for a discount, not a big thing. So once we recognize that our brain is saying, oh, my brain is operating from fear most of the time, then we can start to take back a little bit of control. Because what our brain does under fear is it bends, it tries to people please, it puts a secondary because that's how we survive. It's like, well, if I need to just behave this way, And then I get rewarded for that. Like I don't die. I should keep doing that. It establishes these patterns that are really unhelpful and damaging, especially to women. So we walk through kind of acute and chronic stressors, environmental stressors, cultural stressors, like how people get marginalized and how that in and of itself is a huge stressor that people don't talk about. But it's a major traumatic event to walk through the world feeling less than, or that you have to prove yourself or that you have to do certain things in order to stay safe. So starts with the brain.
1: How do you help professionals remold their brains and change behavioral patterns? And how does that help them get unstuck and move forward?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is helping to understand the science behind a lot of the techniques that they've heard again and again and again. So when we're stressed, our head kind of focused and narrowed, and our attention only goes to the thing that's immediately in front of us. And so we miss most of life. I use a lot of techniques from cognitive behavioral therapy, internal family systems theory. So much of the work is in seeing the reactions and then slowing them down so that we respond differently. I don't know anybody who hasn't done stress work and talk about the breath, but Why? Like we all know we're supposed to breathe. Why? Well, the breath is the only thing that consciously connects your conscious and subconscious mind. So when we are subconsciously breathing all day, right? Like we're breathing shallowly when we're under stress. And what that does is it builds up a gas exchange in our body. That's not at equilibrium. So we have carbon dioxide that gets trapped in our lungs because we're breathing shallowly, not using all of our lungs. And so when we slow down, when we take a conscious breath, What we're doing is we're actually expanding the lungs, opening those alveoli and allowing that CO2 to get out of our body. So it's not continuing the stress cycle. And in slowing our breath, we're actually then consciously able to slower our heart rate. There's so many other things that we can control with our breath, but most people just dismiss it because they're like, oh, well, it's free. Anybody has access to it. It can't be a good solution. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's talk about the science behind it first, before we get to dismissing really simple solutions that are right in front of our face that everybody has access to.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. I've definitely harnessed a lot of that, those breathing exercises myself and they transform your life, yeah. just allowing you to even just live in the moment. I mean, they're that powerful.
0: It's so true. I mean, I tell people frequently, and this is something that I remind myself of all the time. One of my mantras for my life that I repeat constantly is savor savor, savor. Like, what can you savor in this moment? Maybe it's just a breath. Maybe it's the smell of the bread wafting out of the bakery that you walk by every day. But when we get stressed, again, and our attention narrows and we're like, what can kill me? What can kill me? We don't enjoy life. We don't recognize all these beautiful, positive things that are surrounding us.
1: Yeah, that's really good. So you've been a TEDx speaker twice now, which one of those speeches was your favorite and why? <laughs>
0: Oh man, that is a tough choice. Can I say both, but for different reasons? The first one, I talked about diversity and equity, and I think it was the first time that I'd actually given a professional talk before, at least since I was eight years old. So I think that counts. So that was a really important talk for me and one that was really special. But I think the second one is actually my favorite, and it's one that most people haven't seen. Usually they know me for my first TEDx talk, but the second one, I talked about sexual assault. And the stories that people tell and the freeze response, which doesn't get talked about enough. So in stress, we talked about fight and flight. Freeze is the other response that 70% of the time women exhibit. So again, if we've only studied stress from a male perspective. Fight and flight is logical. That's typically what they exhibit. For females, it's freeze. And freeze looks like smiling, appeasing, and often that gets misinterpreted. And there's a lot of victim blaming and shaming. So that to me was a really important talk. And I was terrified giving it because the opening two minutes, I come out in this really sleek red dress with a slit all the way up to my hip. And I do this little dance. And then I asked the audience like, Hey, what story are you telling about me right now? And I go behind the scenes really quick. And I do a quick change and come out in my professor clothes. And it's like, Oh, did my perception or did your perception of me just change? So really understanding how easy it is for our brains to get manipulated into telling one story or another. It was a, they were both really fun, but for different reasons.
1: How can we go from making safe decisions to making more decisions to create fulfillment?
0: The best strategy here is really a single word. It's curiosity. Curiosity is the opposite of fear. And most of us never question or slow down long enough to ask, is this really what I want? One of my favorite questions to ask in coaching, right, is what would you do if no one was watching? So again, nobody's going to judge you for not achieving all the things, but also, and this is important, no one's going to cheer you or applaud you when you do achieve that thing. And when people recognize that they don't have to do anything for anybody else, this is really just for you. It becomes really clear what decisions they need to make in order to feel more fulfilled in life for themselves, rather than chasing and trying to chase validation and approval from the culture, from a parent, from a sibling, a spouse, a child, whatever that is.
1: So how does your app provide feedback and improve (laughs) self-awareness?
0: So the app really challenges our fear of rejection. So frequently we don't ask for the feedback that we need because we're afraid, frankly, of what we're going to find out. So how IQity works is you can select from a list of traits, there's probably about 95 traits on this, and you select three traits at a time, things that you want to know more about for yourself. So it might be your listening skills, and maybe your leadership skills, and maybe your empathy, your compassion, whatever, you select those three traits, and then you rate yourself sliding scale one to 10, how empathetic am I, how cooperative am I, how talkative am I, wherever you think you fall on that sliding scale. And then you send this to your friends, family, colleagues, coworkers, and they rate you on the same sliding scale anonymously over the course of a week. So you never know when that person's going to get dripped that survey. And once they rate you, you start to get feedback. Now at the end of the week, the poll closes and you can see where your gaps are between how you think you show up in the world and how everybody in the world actually says you do show up. So for me, like when I was first beta testing this, I'm like, I don't know, I'm, I'm pretty funny. I'm gonna test myself on humor, right? So I, I tested myself, I'm like, I'm like a seven, like a seven out of 10, I'm pretty funny. I sent it to my family, Amy, twos. I got back twos, right? And I was like, oh my gosh, this is awful. And I had that moment, that like major stress response of, of oh my gosh, you know what, I'm getting rejected. My family hates me and it's like, wait, No, that's not true. They don't hate me. My family is really, really funny and they don't value me for my humor. Like they see me as reasonably humor, but not not super funny. What, What I found out is that they value me for my empathy. So they rated me much higher on empathy than I rated myself. And so this whole idea of getting feedback is truly a gift, right? It's just information. Where people get nervous is like, I don't want to know that. I don't want to know that I'm failing in humor. And it's like, well, wait, who says you're failing? Your family, my family is going to think that I'm not funny, whether or not I know that or not. Now I have the information. Now I get to do something about it, right? Now I'm like, oh, they don't value me for my humor. I can show up with empathy or I can show up with any number of other strengths and skill sets that they value me more. Four. It's just information. It's always a gift. So if we can think more about receiving feedback as a gift, and then you get to do something with it, right? It's, I can open this gift. I can choose to give it back. Like, no, thank you. I don't actually want that. It's truly a gift.
1: So what are some of your client success stories?
0: This is a challenging question for me because I've seen a lot of women take massive leaps, whether they're going from being a coach to recognizing, oh my gosh, actually, I want to be a professional speaker, like huge leap. Another woman, actually this job, it's not for me and quitting and walking away.
1: wow
0: Huge success, right? Maybe not what many people would define as success, but those were big successes for these women. I think for me, the biggest success stories are when women start to recognize that they are not alone. It's really not me. I would love to lay claim to say, oh, look at all my successes and all these women that I coach. It's really their willingness to come together and recognize in their own vulnerability that they're not alone. There's so many other of us that are connected that are having these same experiences. And when we're vulnerable enough to share, I mean, that's where the success really takes off.
1: What do you think your truth has been that has gotten you this far in your journey?
0: My truth is that kindness matters. I'm not religious exactly, but I do believe that we are all intricately and inextricably connected to one another. So I think when I realized this, when I adopted that truth, I wanted to do as much good for everybody else as I possibly could, because frankly, it rewarded me as well, right? I kept feeling better and better the more I gave. So to me, that's the truth. Kindness matters.
1: If you were able to give yourself one piece of advice when you first started out in your journey, what would it be? Fearless.
0: Fearless. Fear less, love more, and specifically love yourself more. I feel like I'm not alone in this. I know because I have spoken to a lot of women who share this, but we are so quick to put our dreams, our goals, our gifts aside and pour into others. And the reality is your dreams, your gifts, your talents, they're no less important than anyone else's. So go seek out what makes your hair stand on edge, you know, get those experiences because it's, you got one life here. We need to live it fully.
1: So if we have listeners that are interested in working with you, what's the best way to reach you?
0: Probably the best way to reach me is by reaching out to me directly on my email, which is just Rebecca at Rebecca I'm of course on all the socials at Dr. Rebecca Heiss, D-R-R-E-B-E-C-C-A-H-E-I-S-S. If you'd like to join our community, I would love to have you come check out. We are the The leap is that professional women's network with ongoing personal and professional development. So we'd love to have you please come visit, say hi.
1: And I will put all of those links down below as well. And Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on and sharing some of your wisdom and your story with us today.
0: Oh, Amy, this has been a
1: delight. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And if you're listening, you want more information about our podcast and upcoming shows, you can go to a call to thrive.com. Thank you, everyone, and have a wonderful day.